Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from the southern edge of northern Alberta, Canada. Episode 31 Freedom in Routine. Many years ago now, when Mike and I were looking into getting a dog and were talking to a greyhound rescue, one of the things that they told us was that greyhounds do best with a routine. When they race, there's a certain routine that they follow, and it's what they're used to. When they transition into a home, they find it much easier if they have a new routine set for them. So when we brought Priest home, we were aware of that, and we did our best to make sure that his life, and ours, followed a predictable pattern. Walks at certain times meals at certain times, and if there was any deviation from that routine, no matter how cold it was outside at 5am, or that it was time for daylight savings time to come or go, well, we heard about it, let me tell you. Priest was not a dog that adjusted, adjusted easily to change. Unless, of course, he was the one that decided to change. Towards the end of his time with us, I can't say as I minded skipping the 5am walk in the dead of winter considering he wasn't about to be dragged outside, no matter how much cajoling I did. Priest has been gone three or four years now, but our lives have still followed a bit of a pattern, even if it is slightly more fluid than when we had a pet to keep us on schedule. Work, appointments, knitting groups, and the podcast have kept me fairly well settled into a predictable routine. But two weeks ago, All that predictability got so completely muddled that I'm still trying to make heads and tails of it. The building I work in had a major flood, which caused structural, electrical, and sewer system damage that will take months to repair. As a result, I've been working from home, first from my personal computer, and then with my work computer rescued from the office and set up on the dining room table. And since there's still no running water at the office and the back parking lot is all torn up, I expect that this state of affairs will continue for several weeks, if not months. Now, don't get me wrong. This working from home thing is pretty awesome on a lot of levels. The commute is great. It saves money on gas, wear on my vehicle, and and time that used to be spent in traffic. And I did not have to go outside when it was minus 30 last week which is hopefully winter's last kick at us. I can actually cook a lunch if I need to. I also find I'm more productive and able to focus better than I could with all the distractions of the conversations in the hallways. And perhaps best of all, now I can hop downstairs to my spinning wheel and do some homework on my lunch break. And yet, despite all these absolutely fabulous things about the situation... I can't think of two weeks in recent memory where I've knit or spun less. I had a routine. It involved getting up at a certain time, driving to work at a certain time, taking 15-minute breaks to knit at certain times, exercise at lunch hours, driving home or to appointments at a certain time, and evening activities. Every day, I knew what was expected and what I had to do. And now, large chunks of that routine are out the window. And despite being at home and having better access to my wheels and my projects, I haven't been able to find the time to work on them. Part of that might be the invasion of my working space. The dining room table is where I do just about everything. It's the only working surface for things other than food preparation that we have. 
So having my giant work computer sitting in the middle of it, not even leaving us space to sit down and eat, was a huge disruptive factor. But today I followed Dad's suggestion and dragged my old corner desk upstairs into the living room. And now I have a working space set up that's just for work. Having the dining room table back will hopefully help me establish zones. A work zone and a not work zone. Hopefully, once I leave the work zone, even though it's still in the house, I can set the work aside, as I used to do by turning my chair away from my computer on my breaks, and find that routine again. Or maybe I won't be able to. I'm not sure. This is the first time I've ever worked from home, and the fact that it is, in and of itself, a temporary situation with no indication of how long it will last may prevent me from establishing a routine. But I am aware of it, and I'm aware of how much of a disruption it's caused. I could feel it last week when I picked up the needles after not having knit for two days. I could feel it when I sat down to spin some silk for homework. Even knowing that it's temporary, and that I'm facing down yet another routine upheaval once the building is repaired and I'm back in the office, I have to establish something, some kind of schedule, for right now, if I'm going to make this work. We didn't have priests long, in the grand scheme of things. He made his seventh birthday, but he was only with us for about three years. But he taught us a lot in those three years. A lot about love and responsibility and caring, and especially about routine. Every dirty look after a time change messed up mealtime. Every weekday afternoon the same path from the X-Pen to the backyard and then to the kitchen for a dentist stick. Every time he went upstairs to bed at 9pm sharp, with or without me was a lesson in how freeing a good routine actually is. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. You know, by Wednesday last week, when it was clear that we would be working from home for quite a while. I I had all these visions of getting so much done on my homework. And then, of course, last week was the first full week of working from home. And how much did I get done on my homework? Well, let me tell you. I have two silk singles spun. Uh, qu- there's quite a bit. I mean, I spent an hour on each single, so that's quite a bit. I'm hoping... <laughs> I'm hoping that it will be 12 TPI when it's done. That's the, what's what I spun it for in the math. If it's not, that's okay, because it's only for the warp on uh, on the uh, the silk for for warp that I had to spin. And and then I'm trying out whether or not it's 12 TPI. If it is 12 TPI, I'll just do some more for for the 12 TPI skein. But I haven't even plied them together. That's tomorrow's job. I I honestly I wish I could tell you what happened with with all this you know with all this extra time that I supposedly have I have no idea where it went but now with the desk in the corner I'm really hoping that that everything <laughs> I'm going to work very hard on establishing a routine I do have to get upstairs and walk on the treadmill a bit. The chair that I have here at home is not as good as the one at work, and I'm really feeling that in my hips. So I do still have to go upstairs and walk at least three times a week. But uh, 
but you know, the other times I can go downstairs and spin or, or walk up there for half an hour and spin for half an hour. So we'll see. But, uh, but yeah, pretty crazy, pretty crazy. Yeah. I wish I had more to report, but I just don't. The good news is that I talked to dad about, um, about the pin looms and he is able to make me one. So I don't have to worry about that. And now with the dining room table back, hopefully I can actually get to what I said I was going to get to last episode, which is measuring out the skeins and actually getting on some of the samples. So we'll see. Um, like I said, the I've got to establish the routine now with the dining room table back. Hopefully, hopefully that will help. So that is where I'm at for level three. It's not, that's not a great report. I'm really hoping that silk will work out though. It, uh, once I got settled back into spinning it not wool, um, it worked really well. And I'm really hoping that, that it works out to 12 TPI or at the very least balances. I would take balance at this point. So, so that is level three. I'm, I'm going to give it until the middle of April. If I'm not in a good spot by the middle of April, I'm going to ask for the extension. So I've got a few more weeks and then we'll see. Anyway, on to level two. We are on to, what's it called? Uh, Exercise D1, which is hand spindles. So for this one, you had to, you had to put together a pictorial guide to 10 different kinds of hand spindles and, and then spin a skein, spin and ply a skein on a hand spindle. And uh, if you've been listening from the beginning, you remember I found a really, really great reference. I will put another link to it in the show notes, but it's also on the references page on my website. So it was fantastic. It was, uh, I believe it was out of Germany, a university out of Germany, had a fantastic collection of pictures of different hand spindles from around the world. It was awesome. So... And then, uh, and then, I mean, I've done a lot of spinning on spindles, so I just, I spun something up. Now, I actually lost the most marks on this particular skein than any other, and here's why. I used a commercially dyed blend. That's it. That's the only reason. I'm not, at, at this level, you are not to use commercially dyed prep. I would have been better off to spin it on uh, just just a plain old natural like I've got I've got bags and bags of natural fiber downstairs that I could have used to spin it but I didn't I wanted to spin something fun so I did the other part of this exercise is to talk about how to ply when uh, when you've spun on a spindle and uh, and there are several ways Um, Abby Frankmont's book uh, respect the spindle has a lot of different ways that you can use spindles to ply the, how many did I come up with? Seven. (laughs) Uh, Multiple spindles. So you you spin one single on one spindle and then another single on another spindle. And then you you make some sort of kate and then you ply off of them. Storage bobbins, you can wind your single onto a storage bobbin and then use your spindle to spin another single and and so on and so forth. Uh, Plying ball, which is my preferred method is uh, is when you have your multiple spindles or your storage bobbins, you then wind 
um, the two singles together under tension into a ball, which you can then carry around. And, and this is my preferred method of, of plying from a spindle. Andean plying, which I've done with a full cop and I do not recommend, um, which is where you make the bracelet on your wrist and, uh, and then basically you're plying each, you're plying the ends together. Uh, center pull ball, again, another way to ply a cop with itself, but it has a tendency to collapse and get all tangly. Multiple balls, which you then have to chase around the room unless you have a yarn bowl. And then chain plying, which makes a three ply. Um, so those are the seven that I came up with for for plying on, from a spindle. Now for the one I did, I believe I did it Andean. Um, but I also, like I said, I prefer the plying ball method for large quantities of, uh, of a spindle spun yarn. So with my travel spindle, I'm currently, it's, it's my little Turkish. Every time I finish a cop, I put it in a little baggie. I've got four of the cops done so far. Once I'm finished up spinning that fiber, I'm going to make a big, huge plying ball. And then, you know, so I put two, two, the cops together. Then when I run out of one, add another one in, and then I'm going to end up with a huge plying ball. And then I can ply it all. Probably not on that small spindle. I do love spindles. I recently came into possession of a Golding. It's amazing. And and uh, I just I can't say enough about spindles. I wish I had more time for them. I really do. But got to get on the homework. So So that's what I have to say about this exercise. Don't use a commercially dyed prep for your skein. Um the reference is on on the website and yeah, just think about the different types of plying options you have from spindles. So I'm going to ply up that silk for the weaving and I'm going to, I really did prefer once it was washed, I preferred the weft yarn spun from the, um, the punies made of silk noil. So I'm probably going to, once I've, once I've plied up the warp, I'm probably going to spend a couple of lunch hours carding some punies and, and uh, getting all that together. So I'm going to hopefully have all my yarn finished up for the silk for weaving. And hey, if that works out to 12 uh, TPI, I'm going to respin some of that. And yeah, we'll see. I will, I will do my best to establish a routine, which will hopefully get me further along in level three. Fiber notes. So it's March 9th, and if you include today, and if you include March 14th, I have six days to get the Event Horizon pie shawl done. And I just got to the halfway point of the knit on border. Now, I, it, it, it actually works out quite nicely. Every point takes me 10 minutes. There are nine points in a 16th uh, of the way around. So every 16th takes me an hour and a half. So I've got half left, works out to 12 hours, which means if I've got six days, I need to spend two hours a day knitting on the shawl. And then I will actually make it not blocked, but will have cast off by the time the knit along is supposed to end. And I know it's an arbitrary date. I know I don't have to do it, but I am so close. 12 hours is not that much 
Except, of course, you know, I have a full-time job and I've got homework to do. That's neither here nor there. I'm, I'm going to try and make it. I really am. It's the, the border, like I said, 10 minutes a point. It'd be so easy to just, you know, do 10 minutes here and 10 minutes there. Wouldn't it? But, I mean, this week, I, I, I kind of have an advantage. Uh, um, Mike has a has a procedure that he needs done. I've taken Wednesday off. I can I can drag the knitting to the hospital, and I can drag it back home when he's upstairs sleeping, and I have a whole day where I can probably fit in more than two hours worth of work on it. And that's Wednesday, so so we'll see. But I'm close. I'm really loving it. And I'm going to try. I'm going to try and get it finished. So I'm, I wasn't 100% happy with the way the fifth lace circle turned out. But I wasn't about to tear it back at that point. I'd already started in on the border. Um, but I did figure out, based on the pictures in the book, what the original one, the pattern, should have been. And I'm going to make a note of that. And if I ever do this pattern again, then I'm going to do something else for lace circle five. So it all worked out. I still, you know, no one's going to notice lace circle five. It's just a whole bunch of yarn overs. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm getting pretty close and I haven't really worked on much else, but last Saturday I did sign up for a dyeing class. We have a really great independent dyer here in Edmonton, um, Allie. She is on Ravelry as Dandelion Fluff. And she's fantastic. She does really, really great work. Anyway, she was teaching a class with the Edmonton Weavers Guild about um, acid dyeing, direct application. And I mean, I've been kind of scared of acid dyeing. The word acid, you know, when you think of acid, you think of like things melting. So, so I was a little, you know, I was hesitant about acid dyeing to do it myself without some sort of instruction. But, uh, but hey, here was instruction. And I had a gift certificate from the, from the sheep to shawl competition coming in second place. So off I went last Saturday to do some acid dyeing. And uh, the class, the, the class came with two skeins of yarn, I bought two extra. And oh, that was so much fun. And it was so much easier than nature dyeing. I'm, I'm kid you not. It was just, it was, and I was going, this is it? This shouldn't it be harder? It's got the word acid in it. No, no, it was, it was just, it was easy. Anyway, I dyed four skeins of yarn. Um, I did two skeins of sock yarn at the same time. The base is a 75% superwash merino, a 15% ca- uh, mm. Yes, 15% cashmere and a 10% silk blend. She said it's, it's her hardest wearing sock yarn. It just lasts. So there's 365 meters in a skein. And I wasn't entirely sure one skein would be enough for a pair of socks for me. So I dyed two. And I dyed them at the same time. And they're sort of a blue, green. And then and then I chose... There's two greens and a blue dye that I chose. And then... In the last section, I took those two greens and the blue and put them in there along with some splotches of fuchsia. So I should get sort of a striping look. I have no idea how it's going to knit up. But I have two skeins of it, so that's enough for a pair of knee highs 
but I'm not casting anything on, right? I didn't I say that? I said I wasn't casting anything on. I don't know if that's going to last. Part of the problem when you dye your own yarn and you're dyeing it how you feel at that moment in time is you really, really want to cast on what you've just dyed. So, but the, the sock yarn, I, I can resist. I can resist the sock yarn. I also dyed up two skeins of lace weight. Now, the first one is a heavier lace weight. It's the same blend, 75% superwash merino, 15% cashmere, 10% silk. And with this one, I dyed it in yellows, some gray and brown. I'd, I'd laid it out so that the sides were touching, and I was kind of going for a caterpillar look, but it really came out gorgeous and sunshiny and very late summer. So that's enough for a for a decent shawlette out of the heavier lace weight, and it's soft and pretty, and I can probably resist this one too. Probably. It's a little harder than the sock yarn. What I'm really having trouble resisting is the first skein I dyed, which is a skein of 100% superwash merino lace weight. And I did this one in reds and oranges. And it's how much? 890 meters. So I can pretty much do anything I want out of this. And this I'm having trouble resisting. I've even gone so far as to start looking for patterns. And there are some amazing stole patterns that would look really great in this. But there's also some interesting lace weight cardigans and tunics that would also look absolutely fabulous. And this I'm having trouble resisting. And I said I wasn't going to cast anything on, and I've got projects over there that I need to finish. Oh, but sometimes you just... I'll be good. I will attempt to resist it. But if I fail... I hope you won't blame me. But that's that's pretty much all I've got for fiber notes. By next episode, certainly by next episode, if I don't make the 14th, by next episode, the pie shawl will be finished. It may not be blocked because I'm not entirely sure where I'm going to block it. And hopefully I've continued to resist my hand-dyed yarn. Side notes. It's been a while since I did a side notes segment. I had to flip back quite a few pages in my notebook to even figure out what the segment was actually called. I was pretty sure it was side notes, but I wasn't 100%. So, yes, it's time for another side notes segment. Now, I did a review, a written review of my new ball winder on uh, on the blog, uh, which was fabulous. I love that ball winder. So you can go there and read that one. What I wanted to review today was a couple of books. They're, uh, they're both knitting books. And, and I've had the one for a while. The other was something that I ordered for myself for Valentine's Day uh, from Mike. I know I ordered my own Valentine's present, but that's okay. So the one I ordered was the Yarn Whisperer by Clara Parks. Now, this is a collection of essays that Clara Parks has written about knitting and life and how they intersect. And and there's a, there's a lot to like about this book. Partly, I think partly part of the reason I liked it is because what she's written here is a lot of what I try and do in my essays 
at the beginning of every episode is take what's happening in life and and look at how knitting can intersect with that and and if there's any lessons that could be taken from knitting or spinning or fiber arts that can also then be applied to life so so yes so i really really enjoyed this book i was quite dismayed that the only review on amazon.ca said it wasn't funny enough you know what maybe it wasn't laugh out loud funny but it sure as heck was really amusing there were some really funny bits in here and uh and i plan to go to amazon.ca and give it a five-star review because I really enjoyed it. I think it's great that we now have knitting books that don't necessarily have to have patterns in them. I think it's, I think it's important that we do talk about fiber arts as life, as philosophy, and, and, and talk about how, how it all intersects. The way that, the way that the food, and she makes this point in the book too, the, the way that food books now aren't just recipe books anymore there's there's all kinds of talk about or all kinds of books about you know like the history of food and and you know travel food and and all this kind of stuff and we can do that with yarn and i think we should do that with yarn because it's so vital and and so integral into you know the human condition how we evolved and and all of that so she has an amazing story. You get bits and pieces of it in different in different essays, but her her journey to to becoming someone who makes their life doing fiber arts is fascinating and you get a lot of that in this book. So, I highly recommend it. I I found it a very interesting read and I really enjoyed it. So, that's The Yarn Whisperer by Clara Parks. The second book I want to review is a novel, actually. It's called The Broken Circle, book one of the Potluck Yarn Trilogy by Cheryl Potter. Now, book two is currently in the works, but uh, but book one is now out, and you can buy it as a standalone novel, or you can also buy it with an associated pattern book. Uh, for each chapter in the novel, uh, there's a knitting pattern that goes along with it, so you can buy that as well. I don't have the pattern book, so I can't comment on that, but I do have the novel. So um, in doing some research about the author, she'd always wanted to write uh, a novel that combined fantasy and knitting uh, or fiber arts. And this is the result. It's a it's a fairly hefty book. Um, and it's recommended, I believe, for young adults, but it is 360 pages long. So so it's well bound and, and, and I quite like it. The, it's got great illustrations in it as well. And uh, and uh, the world itself is fascinating. Potter's done a really good job of world development, has really fleshed out how she wants her magic to work and why it works the way it does. So, and and I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen next uh, with, with the actual world and, and how the magic is going to work. So I'm really actually looking forward to book, t- book two in that respect. The descriptions of spinning and dyeing and knitting and and even small business ownership are all really, really well done. And and I didn't find anything in there that, that you know, screamed, oh, that's wrong, which I've done before in in books. I'd, I'd, I'd listened to a book on, on CD a long, long time ago, 
and they'd mi- they'd messed up messed up something about spinning and weaving and oh it just bothered me but there's none of that in this book you know it's it's obvious that Cheryl Potter is a fiber artist and has done pretty much everything that her witches are doing and and I like that there's nothing you know stereotypically witchy about any of her witches they're all very very atypical not not scary just doing doing they're just doing stuff but there happens to be magic involved they're doing fiber arts so i have one small quibble uh, about the book and it's not enough to keep me from picking up the second book when it comes out but personally there wasn't a single character in this book that i related to that i found sympathetic I I didn't I didn't connect with any of the characters personally, and I don't know why. Um, they're fiber artists, and they're they're you know they're coming together in a circle. I have knitting circles, I have knitting groups. I don't do magic with my knitting groups, but but yeah, there's just some there's just something about the characters that that didn't mesh for me. Now, like I said, it's not enough to keep me from picking up the second book because I'm fascinated by the world. And I think the world development in this is is enough for me. Um, so, so I am definitely looking forward to when the second book comes out. Now, apparently it's being written right now. I don't know when the publishing date will be. But yes, so book one of the Potluck Yarns trilogy is called The Broken Circle by Cheryl Potter. And, and as I said, I really like the world that, ha- that uh, Cheryl Potter has created. So those are my two book reviews for this episode. Hopefully it won't take me nearly so long to do another side note segment. By the Wayside I'm pretty sure you know what's coming here, Uh, which is nothing. (laughs) Last Saturday, I had the dying class, and I got home, and I was in bed by 8.30. I was that tired. And then yesterday, uh, it was time change night, and Mike's new schedule has him getting up at 4 a.m. to get to work by 6 which means I'm getting up at 4 a.m., which means I was in bed by 9. After being out for a good portion of the day. So I had two Saturday nights where it just wasn't in the cards. And with everything else, there weren't any other nights where it was in the cards either for me to work on the tapestry. So I've decided not to really kick myself about this one. The last two weeks have been slightly crazy. Um... Just, just slightly. But, you know, <laughs> I'm trying not to make let myself feel guilty about this one. But it's not going to go a month. I'm definitely going to be working on it in the next couple of weeks. Just got to, like I said, got to finish off the pie shawl. And after that, we're golden. We're definitely golden. So no progress to report. I will make up a funny meme to put in place instead. So that's the By the Wayside update. 
Thank you for joining me for episode 31. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 32 on March 23rd, 2014. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion in our group on Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at ness, as in Loch Ness, at bythefiberside.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside.